Bible on it, you can hold it up too. Uh, I've encouraged you to download, if you have a smartphone, download Uversion, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-O-N.com. Great free application, and it's there. So if you see somebody holding their phone up, that's okay. Yes, Brother Jeff. Yes. Till March the 9th or 10th, I think it is. NIV will work. Awesome. And it's all that's free. Isn't that fun? Here we go. I'm a child of God. God. Having my hand, hand. the powerful Word of God God. can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now reach over and high five your high five your neighbor. Wouldn't even hurt to give them a hug if you want to. That'd be all right. They may feel like they're really into something if you give them a hug. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Jeff, I'm a little bit loud, I think, up here. Y'all could help me back there. We've been looking at some uh, Old Testament couples trying to learn from their lives that will speak, uh, from their marriages that will speak into our marriages today. Uh, today we're going to look at a guy named Abram, who later uh, God changed his name to Abraham, and his wife Sarai, who later became Sarah. And uh, as you're turning in your Bibles, for those of you that have not yet married, I want to ask you this question. If you do get married one day, what do you want to get out of your marriage? And by the way, during our Sunday school hour, one of the offerings we're offering you at 9.30 is a video study, uh, Marriage Marriages Built to Last. Is that correct, Rodney? Rodney and Lacey are kind of facilitating that study for us, but uh, boy, you need to come. It's a great study, and uh, will help you over the next few weeks. So if you just need to tune up in your marriage or thinking about getting married and hoping to get married, this will be a great uh, way to learn. Uh, those of you that are married, if you just kind of rewind all the way back to your pre-marriage days and as you were looking ahead to marriage, what did you think it would be like? Those that aren't married yet, what are your expectations? What do you think it's going to be like? And those of you that are already there and you back backpedal, what did you think it was going to be like? And chances are pretty good that your story went something like this. You are amazingly, massively in love with that other person. You had goosebumps nearly all the time. You couldn't wait to see them. You found and invented ways to cross paths with them. One day, uh, you find this perfect little home, and you know you're going to get this white picket fence. You're going to get a dog, not a cat. Can I get an amen? Chances are you're going to have 2.5 kids, obviously a boy first, then the girl. Uh... You've had a great career. You might have traveled some. I'm still way too loud. Uh, You knew that you were going to grow old together. Goosebumps all along the way. But if you fast forward five years into the marriage, eight years, 12 years, 17 years, 29 years, 34 years, if someone would ask you at that point, what do you want out of your marriage? 
If you're like most people, you'll say, hey, look, we're just trying to stay together. <laughs> we're just trying to hang in there and be together. I mean, we've got all these bills to pay. We're trying to keep the kids out of jail. Um, it's interesting how expectations change. Sometimes midway into a marriage or relationship, you end up saying, this just isn't what I thought it was going to be like. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse, but rarely is it like you start out and expected it to start from the, from the get-go. And many of you right, right now, uh, you're going through uh, things and you're looking at life and you're saying, you know, it's just not the way I planned. Some of you are, are going to think by this time, I, I, thought I, would, I thought I would be married by now. Some of you are going to say, well, I am married. I, I thought my marriage would be a lot different. And if you look at your life and you're thinking, man, this just didn't turn out like I planned. I believe that the story of Abraham and Sarah today will speak in a profound way to you. Genesis chapter 12, let's start at verses 1 and 2. We read them earlier. But God's speaking to Abram and he says this, Leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to the land. I will show you. And then God makes this phenomenal promise to Abram when he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. God says that you're going to have to leave all that makes you comfortable and go to another place. And I believe that God speaks to many of us in the same way today. I've often contended that once you get married, there ought to be a prerequisite that you have to move 500 miles away from your family. Because then you have to depend on each other. Mom and dad can't run, run, run next door and help you out. And it's, a tr it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough when you live right next door to mom and dad. It is. It is. Now, it's kind of a neat thing to have the Walton compound. I, I understand. But on the other hand, if you're getting married, you need to have alone time with that girl or that guy. And you've got to figure it out. Uh, it just seems like that ought to work that way. Now, now I have a, an advocate at my house that doesn't believe that. Uh, she believes in the compound issue. that Everybody should be right here close to us. And that she can have access to them today if she needs it. And she don't necessarily want it, but she wants to have access if she needs it. Can I get an amen? Boy, listen to those moms talking amen. But God will speak to you. And he's going to check to see if we have faith to follow him or not. And you're going to have to leave things and leave a comfort zone and follow him by faith. And he tells Abraham that you're going to be a blessing. You're going to be a blessing. And in fact, if you look in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, Adam is, I'm mean, not Adam, but Abram is, is characterized as a man of faith. Look at what it says. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, that's kind of tough, isn't it? Now, for most of you women, you understand that when a man says, I'm going to go somewhere, and he even tells you where it is, you know he probably doesn't know where he's going. Men are notorious for that. You say, do you need a map? No, I got it under control. I got it. He may drive around the same circle 150 times. But, but boy, he knows where he's going. <laughs> and he'll never let you know that he didn't know where he was going. I saw a funny cartoon not too long ago where uh, uh, Moses' wife was talking to a guy with a map. And Moses is off in the distance and she goes, haven't we been by here before? <laughs> so, you know, 
40 years, you probably covered the saw the same ground. But I mean, I mean, Abram comes in and he says, hey, God told me that we're going to move. And so she goes, where are we going? He goes, I don't really know. And she goes, well, how, what are all the provisions? He goes, well, I don't know. He just said, you pick up and go. So we need to go. It's not like it is today where you call, get a realtor, they find you a three-bedroom house, two-bathroom two uh, two house, and you know, you're ready to go in the best part of town, best school district, right? They just left. And God's called them to venture out in faith. And God will often call you into a life of blessing, and the only road there is, is the road of faith. The road of faith. I ask an 82-year-old double Ph.D. major, Dr. C.C. Crawford, I ask him, how will I know that Cindy is the right girl for me to marry? I thought, man, I'm going to get some wisdom, sage stuff. I knew he was going to pull some scripture out, going to really give me that feeling in my heart that she is the one. Well, he looks at me. He didn't even take a breath. He looked at me and says, well, it's kind of like the Christian faith. You grab it with both hands and you hang on and hope it works out. <laughs> I said, that's it? And you know what? He's dead on right, isn't he? You have no guarantees. But what you do have is the opportunity to receive a blessing from God. God very rarely gives details. Have you noticed? He may give us directions that we should go, but he doesn't necessarily give us details on how we're supposed to get there or what's going to happen in route or once we get there because he just doesn't do that. He wants us to operate on faith because if, we, if he gave us the details, then we wouldn't need him. And if he, didn't give us the deta- if he did give us more details, then we wouldn't trust him by faith. And without faith, it's implos- impossible to please God, Hebrews 11 says. So Abram and Sarai, they get a promise. They're going to be a, a great nation. They're going to have lots of kids, going to have lots of grandkids. That sounds really good, doesn't it? You're going to be massively blessed with children and descendants, but first you've got to go. And I think that's really interesting. Because, and it ministers to me in this story, because if you look at their marriage in the New Testament, they're characterized as being a couple of faith. But if you look at their life very carefully from this Old Testament account, they didn't always demonstrate faith. And it blesses me because I often waver in my faith. And yet I find comfort that I can still be characterized as a man of faith. And so we're going to see first that Abram messes up and he falters in his faith. We're going to see Sarai messing up and faltering in her faith. Then we're going to see them as a couple mess up and falter in their faith. But the good news is that even when they were faithless, God was always faithful. And the same will be true in our lives as we get to know the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And what typically happens when life doesn't go as planned is that we are strengthened in our faith. Many of us falter in our faith. Terry and Kim, their relationship, even though it appears that they're at each other's throat because of the illness, they are stronger and more in love than they ever were before the illness because faith has drawn them to that. Now, I'm not saying it's been a bed of roses. It hadn't been. She's been ready to knock him out several times, even when I was there. 
I was ready to knock him out a few times when I heard him talk to her. But you know what? Through it all, she still loves him. And through it all, I'll bet you he still loves her. So today I want us to look at three things in their marriage, Abram and Abraham and Sarah, and even when life didn't go the way they had planned, there's three things you can learn and we can apply to us. First of all, we can fall victim to fear. And that's what Abram did. There was a famine in the land. The economy tanked. He moved his family to Egypt. He ran into some fear, made some sinful decisions <laughs> based out of fear. In verses 11 through 13, look what he says. As Abram was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Well, first of all, he's a smart man. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. <laughs> so what he's saying there in 13 is, I really want you to lie for me, okay? Now look else what he says. Say you are my sister. It's really a half-truth. Because she was his half-sister, and that's a whole other deal, a whole other message. And uh, now it's just the way they did things back then, okay? So I... I don't think they were from Arkansas, so just, just relax. But look what he goes on to say. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. And now you're, 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 you could be saying, say what? During this time, when you entered into enemy territory, if the enemies liked the wife, they would often kill the husband and keep the wife. I know that if I took her into enemy land, my little five-footer, if I took her into enemy land, <laughs> I'd get one step in, I'd be dead, dead meat right there. Because she'll be much worth more than I am, and they definitely would want her. Okay? So I don't know, maybe I would do the same thing. Not sure. But he's afraid. He's afraid he's going to die. And all of a sudden, he's forgotten the blessing and the promise that God had given him by making a sinful decision. He said, let's lie. And what he's really saying underneath that is, I don't really trust God. I don't really trust God to do what he's going to do. And sadly, we see that happening in lives today. So many people are afraid. And they're taken off the track of blessing because of fear. Rather than living by faith, suddenly they're living by fear. We see it in marriages all the time. God's calling them to tithe. What a wonderful testimony today. God's calling them to tithe. We struggle financially, so we don't obey. God's calling us to be generous, but we lose our job. What if we lose our job? Or we feel like God's calling us to be foster parents, but what if we bring this child in and our kids don't do as well? Our, our God is calling us to, one of us to stay at home and to raise the kids, but can we make it financially? Or God is calling us to start a new business or a new ministry, and we start doing what if, what if, what if? And instead of building one another in our marriage with a mutual and increasing faith, we often tear each other down with mutual and increasing fear. What if, what if we talk ourselves out of being obedient to God? Abram panicked. God had already given him a promise. I'm, I'm going to give you kids. I mean, he's going, but they're going to kill me. We go into this land, they're going to kill me. He stopped believing the promise and he gave in to fear. First of all, we, we can fall victim to fear. Secondly, and I'll bet you might see yourself here as I do myself. 
We often get ahead of God. (laughs) When life isn't going as we plan, we often get ahead of God. God, you told us that we're going to have kids, but we're not having kids. You're taking way too long. Don't you know that I'm tired of waiting? So I'm going to make something happen. Any of you? Yeah, don't raise your hand. Okay. (laughs) That's what Sarah did. Abram messed up. Then his wife messes up. Chapter 16 of Genesis, verses 1 and 2, says this. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. I mean, you're supposed to have kids. You've got, you've got no kids, so that's a big problem. If you're going to be the father of many nations, then we're going to need to have kids that will become the nation leader. Wow. So look what it says. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. <laughs> I want to pause here for a minute because some of you guys are going, whoa, whoa. Preachers, that's in the Bible? I just read it. Now, how many men, how many men would be what you're supposed to be and look her in the eye and say, no, it's not what God said to do. But what did Abraham do? The man of faith. Well, honey, if that's what you want me to do. It's your idea. It's your idea. (laughs) Then notice what else she says. Perhaps I can build a family through her. What did she not say? She didn't say God can do this. God can bring about His promises. Whatever God has led us to do, He will fulfill it. But no, she says, I want to take control. I want to make things happen. God's not doing it, so I've got to get ahead of Him. I've got to get involved. I've got to force the issue. And if you read the whole story, Abraham gives in. He goes in with Hagar and they have a son together. It's nasty, it's jealous, there's years and years of trouble. In fact, we're still fighting the same fight today between Isaac and Ishmael. That's what the Middle East problem is. It's between Isaac's descendants and Ishmael's descendants. Ishmael's descendants are all on the outskirts of Israel. God set it up in the book of Genesis. Isaac's descendants would have the nation of Israel, the fertile land of Israel. But Ishmael's people got all the outside part. That's it. They got all the oil (laughs) and the desert. And they've been fighting from from then till today to have control of Jerusalem. Why do Christians need to support Israel? Because God said it's His land. It's not your land. It's not my land. It's not a president's land. It's God's land. And if we don't support Israel for any other reason, your and my Savior came from there. That's why you support them. Do they need to come to Christ in in salvation the way you and I have? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does God have a special call on them? Absolutely. But guess what? Jesus came to die for them as well as for us. And Abraham, Abraham just jumps right in, just follows through on what his wife says. And I, I see it happen many times. There's this young girl, Christian girl, and all of her friends are getting married, and there's nobody there, and she's got some guy who, uh, he, he's not a, a Christian at all, And but instead of waiting on God to give her her best, or his best, she compromises, settles for this guy. I mean, he's got a pulse and a wallet, right? 
And so she gets ahead of God and compromises. You see it in many different ways in marriages. Young couples want the financial and material blessings of God. I mean, after all, they look at mom and dad. They're in their 20s. Mom and dad are in their 50s. And they're saying, well, I just want everything they have. And so they get themselves in a financial noose around their neck because they create so much debt because they think they ought to have right now what it took mom and dad 30, 40 years to accumulate. And then they strangle themselves for 20 years. You see a woman who's married to a non-Christian guy. and She wants so desperately to have him become a Christian and to share Christ with him. But instead of winning him with godliness and humility and gentleness and patience, she decides to get all up in his business. <laughs> and she's, she says, you've got to start going to church. And you're not this and you're not this. And she begins to shove religion down his throat. And she literally pushes him away from God rather than waiting on God. The list could go on and on. Someone doesn't like their job and they panic. I hate my boss. So instead of waiting on God to provide a second job, never quit a job until you got another one. Especially today. So they quit. Nine months later, they're unemployed and they're wondering why they can't pay their bills. Well, it's because they forced it. They panicked. They got ahead of God. So common, so dangerous. God, you said, and you're not, so I will. Where are you, by the way? God, where are you? I'm going to force this. Here's what we've got to remember. God is rarely early, but he's never late. Rarely early, but he's never late. So a lot of times we panic. It's not happening the way we want it to. It's not happening. And we say, where is God? God, what are you doing? We feel like we've, we've, we've got to do something to force the hand of God. And waiting on God, however, is not a passive life. Waiting on God can be the most active, faith-filled living that you've ever done. It's a little bit like what a waiter and a waitress do. They wait on people. And they wait for people to give them a reward. Because if they do their job right and they do it well, they'll get a reward. Amen? They serve people. They wait tables. And we're waiting on God. But while we're waiting, we should be actively, aggressive, aggressively serving God. Serving Him. Believing that what He said would come to pass. Even when we're faithless, He is always faithful. Sarah panics. It's not going down the way she wants. So she gets ahead of God. When things don't go as we planned, it's so easy to start making decisions based on fear. First of all, we can fall victim to fear. Secondly, it's so easy to get ahead of God. And then thirdly, it's so easy that we don't believe God will do it for us. We just simply don't believe that God will do what He said He would do. Now, He may do it for someone else. He may answer your prayers. He may do a miracle in your life. But I just don't think He's going to do it in my life. And quite frankly, I can understand why Abram and Sarai would feel that way. Because the verses that we're going to look at here in just a few minutes quite honestly, cover about a 30-year span. 30 years after the promise. Think about this. God says you're going to have, you're going to have kids. And so you, you look at your wife and you start to make nursery arrangements, don't you? You start thinking of colors of walls and all kinds of stuff to go in the nursery. A year later, they're going, well, what's going on now? Six months after that, they say, well, maybe we ought to go to the doctor and have this thing checked out. 
Why is nothing happening? Two years, four years, eight years. Hey, God, did you remember us? Hey, hey, hey. Remember the promise? Twelve years, twenty years, and all of a sudden you can start to realize it'd be really easy to give ground and lose faith. Which is what so many of us do. It's interesting what Abraham and Sarah did. Look at Genesis 17 and verse 17. When God comes to them again some 30 years later and says very specifically, I'm going to give you a son. Look what he says. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Now some of you ladies that are in your upper level of years, in your winter years, how many of you are ready for nine months of wonderful bliss? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I love my wife and I appreciate the children that she bore to me as, a, as her husband and father of these three boys. But she was not a good pregnant girl. <laughs> I never heard morning sickness till I till we experienced that. Morning to morning to morning to morning. After the first one I thought, well this will be the last. Something strange that happens inside women. Once Jeff was born, I got that goofy look on her face. I'd seen that look before. Verse 12, Genesis 18. Sarah laughed to herself as she thought. Am I worn out and my master is old? Will I now have this pleasure? She, being very sarcastic, the Lord then asks her a question. Well, what a powerful question. Why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I am old? Look at verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? You are the God who says all things are possible. And at that moment, all of their unbelief, all of their manipulation... I think changed. In other words, they began to look at each other and say, you know, I think we can take God at His word. And I just want to say to you, I know a lot of people that want children and haven't been able to conceive, and, and I want to acknowledge right now and, and right here that that is a very painful thing. Very painful. But I also know a lot of people who are giving up faith. I would, I would just say to you, do you really think anything is too hard for God? Those of you who say we could never be blessed with children, we, we couldn't afford to adopt, we can't pull that off. Do you really think that there's anything too hard for God? I mean, we're in a financial mess and we could never climb out of this mess. And, and we're always uh, going to be hurting. We're always going to be struggling. Do you really think that anything is too hard for the Lord? Well, well preacher, you just don't know how bad our marriage is. I mean, my husband will never be a godly man. He's so far from God. So you, you really believe that in a moment the power of God could not come upon him and he dropped to his knees to a point of full surrender to the Lord, the God of the universe? Well, you know, my wife, do you not really think that the Holy Spirit could arrest her heart, bring her into submission and surrender under Christ and His union of marriage? Our kids, they're... they're they're terrible. They're never going to get things right. Don't you think that God, through His grace, 
could pursue them and love them and bring them to a point of total submission. But preacher, our marriage, there's just no way. It's just just not going to work. Do you really not think that God could do a miracle in that marriage? We're always going to be miserable. I mean, we, we might stay together for the sake of the kids, but we will never have anything special. Is that how big your faith in, in God is? Have you really stopped believing that it's possible? I'll never get married to a good person. All my friends are and I'm getting old. There's just no one out there for me. Do you really trust God to save your soul from hell and not trust Him to bring you the right person to serve Him alongside? Is anything too hard for the Lord? i got to pause for a moment. And for those of you that have a marriage, that if you were to be really honest, it's probably not where it should be. If there's one piece of common advice that's woven through this whole series, it's this. Invite God into the center of your marriage. I was talking to a couple over the last month. They are having um, just problems. And I kept saying to both of them, if you will bring God to the center, and both of you come to the center with God, anything's possible. Anything's possible. Neither of them want to do that. Neither of them want to do that. What's out of my hands? I mean, I can talk to them individually and be friends to them individually, but we're not going to get anything resolved because neither one of them have brought Christ to the center and come down around the cross. When you'll do that, good things can happen. Amen? Amen. And if you'll do that, you just need to buckle the seatbelt <laughs> and you start watching God do some incredible things. But when you embrace Him, you don't need all of the things that you want. You discover that you only need Him. And by having Him, you've got enough. And the good news is, even if you're faithless right now, Abraham and Sarah were faithless. I've been faithless. You've been characterized as being faithless. But in the last moments, in the last seasons of your life, as Abraham and Sarah were, you could be characterized as being very faithful. Even though they messed up again and again, the New Testament describes them, and especially Abraham, in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, it says this, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. There's a difference between fact and truth. Facts can change, truth never changes. The fact was his body was dead. The truth was God gave a promise. The tr truth trumps facts. Amen? I just wanted to say that. Truth always prevails. Look at verse 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully, not partially persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Do not waver in your faith. Be strengthened in your faith. If life does not go as you planned, Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. You do not waver in your faith. And even if you do, here's the great news. Even if we are faithless, He will remain faithful. Invite Him to be the Lord of, in every area of your life. Especially your covenant union of marriage. 
And watch as He leads you out of that comfort zone and into a place of blessings as only He can do. It may not be in your timing, but never forget, He's never late. As Phyllis comes back to the keyboard, I want you to pray with me just now. God, I want to thank You for what You're saying to us through Abraham and Sarah. I ask God that You would do a miraculous work in each of our lives here today. Those that are unmarried, haven't been married, those that were married and would like to be sometime, those that are married now, struggling, hurting. God, if we will just come to the cross, both people come to the cross, those that are single looking for that relationship, God, if they would begin to look for their number two, as we've talked about in this series, you have to be number one. And then you might bring along beside them, not might, but you will, you'll bring along beside them that number two, where arm in arm, hand in hand, with one heartbeat, they can serve you because they're both sold out to you. God, you can take those kinds of people and do wonderfully marvelous things. So God, for those that are hurting in marriage, those that are faltering in their faith, which is so easy to do in this painful and sin-filled world, God, would you restore today? Would you give them the opportunity to look at each other away from church and stare in each other's eyes and rekindle a flame that once burned? And God, I believe, I believe that in the power of your Holy Spirit, in the power of Jesus Christ, that when people will bring you to the center of the relationship and they cling to you, it will all work out. So God, today, there may be somebody in this room that needs to know you as their personal Savior. There may be somebody in this room that wants to make this church their home. There may be somebody in this room that just needs some encouragement. They need somebody to pray for them. Well, Father, I'm just asking them to, to make that public so that we can do that. If they need to make a decision for you in any way, we need to study with them. Would you give us opportunity for that? Uh, Mick and Don, our elders, are going to be here at the front by the cross. And if folks need to pray, these men are ready to pray. So, God, we're asking you to move today. Even when we're faithless, you are faithful. Would we rely on you, lean on you, put you in the center in Jesus' name. Amen. Ready to